Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Eating Crow Podcast. Here's your host, Pete Durand. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow Podcast. I have my good friend Jimmy Miller up in Charlottesville, Virginia, one of the most favorite places in the world to live. How are you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing great today, Pete. Thanks, man. Well, and we'll get to you. We're going to let you introduce your wonderful background. But I, in doing some research, Jimmy, I, I uncovered some data that I wasn't quite, I think I knew it, but I didn't really understand it. So uh, Jimmy's a really good basketball player. <laughs> And in 1984, you were the MVP of the East Regional Final uh, while you were at Virginia. I think yeah. I knew you had a really good tournament, but I forgot you were the MVP. Uh, you, now you and my mother, or they're like and myself, they're the, we're the only three people that remember that. <laughs> and we're probably the only people you can talk about it in front of, right? 84 is a long time ago. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So uh, I, I did some research and recognized you beat Indiana 50 to 48. Yeah. And you had 19 points in that game. Yeah. You outscored Steve Alford, who only had six. They didn't get the ball to me enough. I could have had 24 in that game. You, could have been, you were raining it down. I was. I was on. I, I was in the proverbial zone. And by the way, in only 29 minutes. Oh, uh, well, yeah. 29 well, minutes you had that prolific scoring output. And by the way, you just completely shut down and outscored the one and only great Dan Dakich. Yeah, that's right. I see, you know, I see Dan uh, now from time to time uh, doing the color on the radio for the Virginia men's basketball games. I've been doing that for the last three years. So when we're playing a national TV game where Dan is doing that and he, he reminds me of that uh, every time you know, he sees me walking in and he starts shaking his head and, and then and he brings up another guy named Kent Needland who yeah. stole the ball from him late in the game and He's, he's like, I still get, you know, shivers over that. It's funny how, for me, it's not certainly not at a college level, but in high school, I, I still wake up, you know, having bad, like, sports final nightmares of, you know, for me, it was the, the finals in the 1600-meter relay in high school. I, I tripped coming out of turn two at the baton change, and I was not fast enough to recover after that change. <laughs> it, was, it was over for me. <laughs> who is? Yeah. I mean, who is? So well, there are people that are. I don't have that gear, right? I, I, I either get it and start running really fast and hope I finish. I didn't have the, oh, yeah, no problem, that comeback video. You know, no, that, that's not me. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll tap into more of your, your basketball background. And, and, you know, my sons are both Division One athletes, and I think the – the impact college athletics has on somebody's um, disposition, drive, ability to perform is, is such a big deal. But mm-hmm. so you're running a, a, and you founded a group called Miller Financial, Jimmy. Kind of tell us about that and, and what drove you to start the firm. Yeah, so we uh, were a small financial planning and asset management company based in Charlottesville, Virginia. We've got clients all over the country. Mm-hmm. We work with uh, a lot of business owners, senior level executives, retired folks, and young professionals. Uh, I, I, I clump athletes uh, in there. Mm-hmm. And we basically help them manage their money in the most cost efficient and tax efficient manner possible while managing risk. And, and yeah. What you know, what was your undergrad, Jimmy, at UVA? Yeah, I was a psychology major. So, I, you know, I use that every day, Pete. I'm yeah. not going to kid you. You know, I didn't, I didn't come into this industry with knowing exactly, how, you know, that I was going to do this. But, um, you know, as you, as you alluded to, we started Miller Financial 10 years ago. So we just experienced our 10-year anniversary right at the end of August. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, before that, I did my training in in New York in the World Trade Center with Morgan Stanley. And they had a small office here in Charlottesville. And I I came back and started because I went to school in this town. This would be a good place to perhaps try to start that business. And uh, 
tra- you know, I was there for a couple of years, transitioned to Bank of America mm-hmm. um, and was there probably for 10 years, uh, uh, eight, nine, 10 years and um, learned a lot there. And if you go back to 2008, nine, when the financial services industry was getting turned upside down and um, you know, I'd, I'd met a lot of neat people along the way and for better or worse, the brand of Bank of America drove a lot of business our way and mm-hmm. um, to the point where we were really just reacting uh, and um, you know, we were, we were, we were larger and growing and, and all that stuff. But, but to me, this is a relationship business. Mm-hmm. And each year I felt like I was having to react more and more while grow our business because I had management behind me saying, Hey, you need to increase revenue 20% year over year, et cetera. So it was, uh, and then the financial industry got turned upside down. There was a lot of consolidation that was taking place and we could have, we had, we had some choices. We could have stayed where we were. We could have gone across the street, as I like to say, to, you know, Wells Fargo and Wachovia were joining forces. And then there was that third element of, um, you know, what would going out on our own look like if we tried to do this? And frankly, that was the scariest. Yeah. I I had two kids, small kids at the time. And, but I, I tell you what, it's the, you know, you never know what a conversation that you have with anybody, what, what that does. And I had one of my uh, good friends who was a client, successful business owner up in Northern Virginia in the DC area. And he said to me one day, he said, Jim, when are you going to go do this on your own? I said, wow, you know, I don't know. I, and, but it, it planted the seed. And as you know, me or uh, people who know me, I'm very methodical, I'm very deliberate. I, you know, I don't make quick emotional decisions, but I, that resonated with me, you know, because I had, I had two small kids and I wanted to be there very involved in their childhood, mm-hmm. something that I didn't have. My mother and father divorced when I was eight years old and my mother basically raised me and my sister, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. And, and so, you know, I, I knew I didn't want that for my family. And, and so I wanted, how, how, how could I have the most control? Ultimately at the end of the day, it was like, okay, this is the biggest risk, but let's go do this. And, and Pete, you know, this, I, I, I love, hearing others share their experiences as it relates to this. What's the, the, to me, the reason why people don't go and do something else is the fear of failure. Oh, absolutely. And I'm like, you know, I failed before and you know, what's the risk here is that none of my clients come with me. I go start, I hang out my own shingle and, and nobody comes with me. And I told my wife, I said, I said, listen, if that happens, you know, at least I, I gave it a shot and I can go back and get a job somewhere doing something, working for somebody. Yep. But the greatest upside was going to be taking this risk, not being, and, and not looking back 10 years from now or from then really looking back and saying, gosh, I wonder what if. You know, I, w- I wonder what would happen if I did find the courage to take that leap. And, and now here we are 10 years later and, and we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're doing all right. And we're, we're you know, we're, we're uh, and so it's, it's fulfilling. Now we got different challenges and all, but the, the, I look back and, and, and feel good about the fact that I had found the courage to, to take the risk back then. Well, you know, it's interesting because when you identified and you did your own personality traits, right? You're, you're a methodical in general, non-risk-taking kind of guy, right? So when you identify the risk and the fear and you overcome it, that's even an even bigger deal. I, I'm, I'm wired 
to take risk. That's just kind of how I, I am. And it's stupid. <laughs> it's been stupid sometimes, but, uh, I, I kind of run towards that. So when I think about someone sitting down and, and doing the math and making the calculations, and I had three kids going into high school when I started my first business and I sold our house, took all of our college return, all of our college funds, all of our retirement. I threw it all in. And yeah. as, as a financial guy, you're going, huh. <laughs> Oh, that makes me sick to my stomach. Right. So I don't, I I wouldn't recommend that for most people. My wife is a superhero because she went along for the ride and, and has Mm -hmm. been there through the whole thing. But I, I look back at those 10 years as you are now and they were the most rich years of my life. Yes. I was home with my, I traveled excessively before then for work. Yeah. And my kids were little, so I missed some things. I didn't miss the big things. But for these past 10 or 15 years when my kids were in the middle of sports and everything else, I was there for all of those events, every one of them. And it, sometimes I was on my, my old pager or Blackberry at the time. And other times I was on my smartphone, but I was always there. So you're right. You won't have any regrets. Fear has killed more dreams than any reality will, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you got that first inspiration from the client, First of all, is that person a client today? Yes. Bingo. Uh, what was the first thing you thought of when you sat down and, and you did your methodical approach? You wrote it down. If I start this, what's the first thing I need to be successful? Uh, I think you need, uh, for me, it was a critical uh, one individual. You know, I mean, so when we started, it was me and I had to, to convince this young lady who, who supported me back at Bank of America at the time, me and three other advisors, but she's a rock star, man. And, and she was smart and like, she got it. And she was, she was, she's great with people. I need her on my team. So that, that like looking back, you know, there were, there were things that I was doing. I had to, you know, okay, realizing, you know, in our industry, you can't pre-solicit. I can't call you up, Pete, and say, hey, I think, I'm thinking I'm going to leave and start this on my own. I just right. want to let you know before I do it. I can't, not allowed to do that. And so we left squeaky clean. And, and so I knew, okay, this is going to take some time to start generating any kind of revenue on the other side. So, you know, my, like, like what you said about Julie, your wife, but, you know, she, my wife is a rock star and she, she supported me to, mm-hmm. to, to go find the courage to do this. We started raising, you know, cash, you know, piling up cash, knowing that there are going to be a lot of expenses in the first six months and, and maybe very little revenue. And so, um, and, and with two small kids, you know, I, I admire hearing you, just, you know, the ability for you to just go and like seize that. I mean, like, I really do. That's, that's pretty cool. And probably to a fault, I'm, I'm more methodical on the other end. So I'm, I'm trying to get more like you. You have your hair. I don't. So I would go with your model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is grayer now through all yeah, this, this stuff. It um, is. But people, you know, so I, I needed this young lady to with me and then of course you know we we, we raised um you know we had cash sitting there to get us through whatever window of of time it was going to be and, and then it was getting out there and telling our story mm-hmm. you know telling it with our clients and being true and authentic and sincere um and, and, which is still you know one of our you know i mean that's true today uh, you know that you can't fake that, I don't think. And um, so yeah. you, you can't. And you just touched on something that, whether you know it or not, is incredibly powerful. So you guys sell, I mean, your product is a service. We're, we're struggling with it. And I work at an, in a digital marketing agency as chief revenue officer. And, and we're constantly struggling to get our people to understand what our story is. It's the first thing you said, and you said it with 100% authenticity and you meant it, is 
had to get out there and tell our story and be authentic. People don't necessarily, and, I, and I'll say what you do is a considered purchase. They're going to do some research or they're going to think about this a lot before they trust you with their finances. There's, I can't think of a lot of bigger things that you have to go and do some research and they're doing research on you, Jimmy, right? And the people that you hire and then you put around you because the level of trust around this is astonishing. So that story, let's touch on that for a minute. If I was to say to you, Jimmy, I want to give you the money that I, by the way, I don't have because I'm still a struggling entrepreneur. What's the story you're telling me that makes me feel comfortable? You understand what my, my, my concerns are as well as my goals. You know, you can't speed up uh, one's perception of you. So, so you good. know, you, you have to, um, you know, understand where somebody is coming to you from. And the case for me, Pete, what, when I first got into this industry, uh, even to where we are today, it's less of a less of a factor really today because now we've got a track record. We've got a long runway of, of doing what we do, but uh, you know, people knew me from my basketball career mm -hmm. uh, and, and then, you know, I got into this business and it's a, it's a very emotional business. And particularly when you're talking about people's finances and money. And so they are like, you know, I, you get, you get started in the business and you're calling all your friends and family, right? And so my family had no money. So I like that list got, you know, it was short and done. And now I'm calling friends and you're, you're and, and then acquaintances, right? And yeah. you should, and so people knew me as a, as a former basketball player. What do you know about managing money? And so you, you, you paint your story and really you're looking for a chance. And so what they would do is they'd give you a bone. I call it, you know, the, you know, giving you a bone. And so they give you a little bit and early on in your career, you're gathering all these bones from, from people. And it was very transaction oriented. You know, it was driven by performance and, and, and I learned early on, like, man, this is, you know, if you're only as good as your return last year, <clears throat> you know, you're going to lose at some point. Yeah. I learned early on that we had, we needed to change that philosophy and the way we did it. And it's going to take longer to make money uh, doing what we do, but it's the right way to do what we do. I, I really believe that. So once we learned how to, um, change the way we would approach our process. And it's, and it's now centered from a, a beginning with, you know, financial planning perspective and, and sitting down and say, Hey, what keeps you awake at night? You know, tell me more about what is important to you and then listen. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, and I can talk more about that, but the, 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 if you listen then people will tell you what they're concerned about, what keeps them awake, what, what are their goals. And then we became problem solvers and we, 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 you know, would go out and, and try to solve for that. So we're not set, right. We haven't sold a product, right? We're, we're helping solve what's important to you and your family. And, and then that takes time. You can't, you know, that experience is through communication, how you interact with your clients, building trust uh, and you can't speed up that process. And, and uh, for, fortunately, you know, we have experiences that sway us in how we make decisions and, and having mentors in, in any industry uh, that can help guide you and navigate you through trying to do more good than, than wrong decisions perhaps. And, and, uh, um, so we learned that, you know, I learned that early on and I, that I, once I started taking that approach, then, um, you know, it's the, it's the turtle, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's slow and steady and, 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 you know, I'm really proud of what we've done in, in that 10, in this 10 year period now. And, but, you know, it does, you know, that doesn't come overnight. 
when you think about the time you got out of college and you decided to get into the financial world, was there a moment in your personal life or your work life where you thought, I've got to do something completely. I went, you went to school for something completely different than you're doing right now. You've leveraged it. You use it. It's a big part of the, the problem you just described, right? Which is building trust and establishing relationships. What was the time in your life that said, geez, I think that's something I need to go do. I need to rethink where my career is headed. What was that? Describe that. That was a very difficult time. Uh, personally for, you know, I, I looking back, Pete, I wish somebody had told me, you know, Hey, go through the McIntyre school of commerce mm-hmm. at, at the university of Virginia, you know, that like how, how great of a, uh, uh, educational base that would be. Um, but I, I, you know, I didn't. So I, I, you know, as a psychology major and, um, I, I had aspirations of playing professional basketball after college. And so that's, that was like right in front of me. That was what I was focused on and, and uh, ended up playing for four years after college. And then it was, that was coming to an end. It's like, okay, what do I do now? To mm-hmm. kind of your question, what, you know, my whole self-worth, my identity has been centered around this basketball my whole life and and so I must get into coaching <laughs> and so you know, what, what do former players do they get into coaching and um, and so I coached for for two years and I realized then that that you know okay if I want to be a an assistant coach on a top 50 program well there are there are a thousand guys like me and you know, it's being in the right place at the right time, whatever, or, or it's going to be me going from Ashland, Virginia as a, you know, division three coaching at at Randolph Macon college to then going to Bowling Green, Ohio to going. So, you know, and at that point, Pete, I, it was a really tough decision for me personally. And I, I, that was when I decided to walk away and try to, go and figure out that next step and and you know so i didn't come right into this this industry that we we know but i've always had an interest in it i remember i grew up divorced family not having any means and i saw my friends around me having the walkman if you're you know walkman uh you know um and i'm like man that would be cool if i could get one so I learned at an early age that I was a, the, I was a saver. So it wasn't about how much I have, but I just, you know, it's a, it's a rule that we still try to apply today, pay yourself first. And mm-hmm. um, so I learned those kind of basic principles early on. And so I always had an interest in it. And that's eventually how I gravitated to this, to this industry because uh, I had met a lot of people over my life up to that point with great life experiences and life stories and had the opportunity to travel all over the world. And I'm like, okay, how, how can I even begin to give myself the chance or the opportunity to experience what I've seen of so many others around me? So that, that was part of the motivation of, uh, of getting into an industry that I had great interest in although didn't have the formal background or education to get in into it. Um, you know, um, many people don't know this and it's not on your LinkedIn profile, but you happen to be a pretty phenomenal magician. Hmm. <laughs> so that's a good segue right there. <laughs> it, it, it is. And it's because when I think back, when I first met you and, um, you have, by the way, for someone who's so successful, you have a tremendously natural sense of humility. You just, which is why people want to be around you. You know, you're a, you're a caring and thoughtful and, and, and funny and, and really gregarious guy, but you just bring a kind of really interesting sense of humility. You have, when people are around you, you're, you, you seem to subconsciously try to lift them up, which is really a neat thing. I've, I, when I've watched you perform magic tricks, 
you know, I, I always felt like, geez, Jimmy, I don't want to ask you to do another one because I <laughs> you feel like I'm getting bored of doing this. But when you do it, your face kind of lit up, right? Yeah. And yeah. to be a successful Division One, the professional basketball player, means the reps have to be there, right? You had to put in the time and do the grind. And I don't know how many people who haven't done that or, or parented a kid who've gone through this process, it's relentless. And that's why kids out of school who've played a Division One sport if it's between that, that kid and another kid who hasn't, they might both be equally educated and as intelligent. The kid who's been the athlete typically gets the nod because there's no question if they can do the grind. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to get up at six o'clock in the morning and be here and they're going to work. That's right. Magic is the same level of repetition. You have to practice those tricks over and over and over again. When did you start doing that? Yeah, I, I, um, uh, Thank you. First of all, the, the, um, you know, that was, a uh, I gravitated to magic early on as okay. a, a young person. And it was probably 12 years old when I first got my first TV magic set by a guy by the name of Marshall Brodeen out of, uh, Palatine, Illinois, I believe it was. And, and he advertised this thing on TV and I'm, I'm like, I just was fascinated by it. So I, I got that. And that was my first introduction. And, and then I saw a couple magicians in, in person who like, you know, wow, that's really cool. And so I, you know, I started uh, early on um, learning different tricks and uh, talking and meeting with other magicians and uh, kind of snowballed so by the time I was in high school my my I'll, I'll never forget this my high school basketball coach was was uh livid that the the day of uh, uh the regional championship I had a magic show at the local community uh library <laughs> that that like that morning and then we're playing that night and of course we're it's a you know we're traveling to another part of the state and um and he found that out and he was just like livid and, and, uh, but I, so I, I, I learned, you know, I started performing when I was in high school and, uh, I did my first show at a, in 10th grade at a church for a church organization. And Pete, man, I've just stayed with it. It was, it was in many ways, it was a way for me to get out of all the other noise and stuff mm-hmm. that was happening around me at that time. And, and some of that stuff was happening really fast. And, and so this was a way for me to go into my room and, and just pick up a deck of cards or coins or, and, and start evolving. And, and, um, and then I enjoyed the, the performing aspect of it. That's hard to describe, you know, when you get up in front of somebody and they, they respond in a positive manner, like, oh, that felt good. You know, I'd like to do that again. And, and, and the psychology now comes into play uh, because I fast forward many years later when I've studied this now at great lengths, uh, the, the, when you do something and, it, and you mess up and it gets a certain reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, I would go back and analyze the, the pros and cons, the good and the bad of a, when I did a show, you know, I'd have these cue sheets I called them and 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 all the things that worked didn't work the routine the the sequencing of different tricks and um what I opened with what I closed with and oh I dropped that egg in the middle of that show and it cracked on the floor and it got a huge reaction and so I was able to recover and go on and do the this ending but I, I made note of that. I'm like, you know, every time I do that trick trick now in a show moving forward, I'm going to drop the egg and, 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 you know, and, and react to, Oh no, you know, whatever. And, and uh, anyway, that's the psychology that, that kind of came into play trying to understand, you know, again, reading people and what works, what doesn't work and trial and error and all that stuff. Um, but, it, but magic has been a wonderful hobby uh and 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 
in some way. I mean, I, I get paid to go and, and perform now. So, and I've done that all over the country. And, and uh, so it's a neat, what started off as a, as a hobby and a passion, you know, we can talk about passion for, for ever. Uh, it has evolved into, to, um, uh, you know, something that's allowed me to get in some pretty neat doors. So you're still doing it. I am not, not as much now because I've got some greater demands mm -hmm. on, on, you know, you talked about putting in the reps, there's so much new material out there and I see, I see new stuff and I want to learn that, um, some of that stuff, but, um, you got to put in the reps and, you know, so I'm, I'm, uh, short answer is yes. And I'm, I'm eagerly excited about learning uh, new material as well. There's some interesting attributes that, that come to mind when I think about combining your financial wherewithal, your athletic performance as a basketball player, and your ability to, to learn and, and perfect and, and continue to practice magic. <clears throat> your brain has to work at a certain, in a certain way, right? You have to be, magic is a lot like math. And it's a lot like finance. There's combinations of things and movements that you have to repeat over and over again. And there's some precision to it. But for leaders and entrepreneurs that are listening to this program, the next thing I want to, I want to lean into is this next phase of Miller Financial. And, and, you know, I've had a couple different entrepreneurs in the program who've built their own firms just like you. And they're at this point now where they either expand and grow or to your point earlier, you continue on the path that you're on. And I'll touch on that in a minute. But if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this, you need to apply the discipline that, that Jimmy's described here between all aspects of his life. He, you know, you went to New York for 10 years and learned the finance business and came back to Charlottesville and learned it again for another seven years. So by the time you went on your own, you, like you said, you had some credibility. You were able to point to the fact that you knew what you were talking about. And, and that took time. I think the, the word you used was bones. People were throwing you bones. You were, you were gathering bones. In your magic business, it's the first time I've heard you use the word passion, right? This was a thing that allowed you to escape and you became passionate about it. And in basketball for you, I think there's this inherent competitive drive in you. I'm, I have a lot of friends that are in the finance world who were former athletes. And I've asked them why. And they said, they don't think they realized at the time, but as an athlete, you know, you're measured in wins and losses, right? You're, there's a scorecard for everything you do. In finance, there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> you, there's no question of whether or not it's working or performing. It's there in, in black and white, right? And some people respond well to that. Some people don't. They just don't. So, you know, when we were talking before we started recording, help us understand this point where you're now in your organization where certainly you've got credibility, you've got people that want to work with you, so you have opportunities to expand your firm. What's the thought process, Jimmy, in, in that, you know, you've built a lifestyle business, right? You could do this comfortably for the rest of your life and make a living and build your practice and surround yourself with a small group of people. Or you can welcome people with a like-minded mindset and culture and continue to grow. And there's a lot of satisfaction in that. So what's that decision process like for you? Well, it's taken us 10 years to kind of get to where we are in that, in that position right now. We've, we've entertained the thought of what growing would look like internally, we always called it like smart growth. So mm -hmm. um, there's some benefit from, from growing allows us greater scalability to do certain things. And um, so that's, that's important, but we, you know, being in the seat that I'm in, we get to control that we get to control how fast or how slow and, and we talked, talked about it a little bit earlier. I think it's really important though, is getting the right people on the bus and the culture is so, so important. That, that, that's number one for me, really the, the, um, you know, we've got a, if you were physically in our office, we've got stenciled up on the wall, uh, in our lobby area of, um, it's the pillar of unity and, um, uh, you know, there's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Right. And mm -hmm. when I first heard that, like that just so resonated with me, uh, and, and on so many levels and, you know, for us to, for any of us, uh, I, I, I you know, 
Muhammad Ali had greatness, right? He could do it by himself. Uh, Michael Jordan, and then you know, was, was great. But for the for the rest of us, I really believe to touch any level of greatness, we need to do it in concert with with others and um, getting getting those people that are that are like minded, uh, philosophically aligned, morally, ethically. Um, it, you know, and that's um, when you find that, that's really special. I'll share this with you because I think this is profound. When I when I first heard Tony Bennett, the head men's basketball coach at Virginia, yes. reference this, um, when he, you know, we won a national championship, you know, what a year and a half ago now. It, you know, last season was cut short um, because of COVID, but he's been at Virginia for 12 years now or something. And early on in his career career here at Virginia, he talked about the type of players that he was recruiting. He needed to get a group of guys together that could learn to lose together before we could learn to win together. I thought, man, that is like, that is really, that's to the core, right? Because if you can, you know, experience adversity, and it's easy when things are going great, um, but you you and I both know that that it's not always going to be the case. And so when when you experience adversity, the team that you have around you, uh, the ability to be able to to manage through that together, uh, I think is huge. So we're we're at that stage now where we're we're trying to go to the next level and. And it starts by getting the right people uh, to be a part of our ecosystem, and um, and that's fun. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, right? Why, why are we doing it? And all that? like, it, you know, our job is intellectually stimulating. We work on some really interesting cases with 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 folks, um, but it's 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 fun trying to to build something. And in, in, in what we're doing in, in helping people. And that's always been kind of a core fiber uh, in, in my DNA. You know, it's what's made me tick. We said it before, this is a relationship business. And I can't get, I can't explain the gratification that comes when we help either an individual or a family, you know, get from point A to point B. <laughs> a couple of interesting things there. So, your, your mission obviously is to help and, you know, to do that. And I know you personally that your, your mentality is to put others first, right? You're, you're there to serve your team. You're there to then serve your customers. You mentioned Tony Bennett, who I'm glad you brought up. Tony's one of my childhood heroes. Um, this is a funny story. You'll appreciate this. So when Julie and I got married, we were living in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Tony was a senior at UWGB under his dad, you know? Yeah. Tony senior. And, and, Dick Dick was coaching up there. So the funny thing is when I had hair, I was Tony Bennett's doppelganger. <laughs> I'm not I'm not exaggerating. My I'd go to meet Julia. She was a teacher. And I'd walk into school and the kids went up and, and say Tony's hair. They thought I was Tony Bennett. It was hilarious. <laughs> now we don't look anything alike because Tony retained his hair. But there's another story about Tony that, you know, dovetails into this discussion. I heard that when you know, he was winning. He st you know, st things started to happen. He's winning the national championship. He was offered a tremendous upgrade to his contract. And Tony said, I'd like you to give it to the strength coach and the assistant coaches and the people that run the building here and take it. I don't, I don't need any more money. Yeah. Have you heard another person in professional sports or collegiate sports ever say that before? You know, <clears throat> you, you touched upon a couple of things there that I think, uh, really, you know, separates Tony from so many other people in, 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 in this profession of, of college coaching, but across the board uh, in, in whatever industry we're in, you know, he's got in his program, he's got the five pillars and you touched upon one there, the pillar of servanthood yeah. and the way to true greatness is through serving others, whether it's your teammates, your classmates, your, your uh, coaches, your, your professors, your community, right? And 
Um, and for him, like that's, those are not, those five pillars are non-negotiables. And I, I, you know, back when we played in the early eighties, we had at Virginia, we had a really good teams and the opportunity to play with Ralph Sampson mm-hmm. put us at, you know, at, a, at, at an elite level. And we, we had, we practiced some of those same principles, those same pillars, um, but we didn't call them maybe what Tony calls them. So fast forward now, 35 years or whatever, and I've had the opportunity to get up close to this team and uh, see those in action and up close. And it is uh, like, it reminded me, uh, you know, those were same things that were true to me. You know, I mean, I won't go into each of them, but I'm, I'm happy to, you know, yeah. humility, passion, servanthood, unity, thankfulness. Those are the five pillars. And, and, you know, we used to talk about humility and, you know, only believe half of what you read and you're never as good as they say you are and you're never as bad as they say you are. So you have to have some confidence though, too, but Mm -hmm. do it with humility, a passion. Don't be lukewarm. Um, Everything I've known about you, Pete, everything you've done from day one, you know, I, I connect you with passion. Uh, You know, I, I heard a guy say once that, if you light yourself on fire with passion, people will come from miles away to watch you burn. I love that, right? It's <laughs> a great quote. <laughs> love that. And, um, and of course, we just talked about servanthood, um, the pillar of unity, uh, you know, going, being together, teamwork, uh, uh, not doing it uh, alone on an island. And, and the last pillar, uh, the pillar of thankfulness, right? You know, wherever we are in our lives at different times, you know, to be able to take a step back and, and be, be grateful and thankful for what you have, knowing that there are others who would gladly have your problems. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, it helps, that helps put everything in perspective, I think. And, and, and so we've adopted those for our firm, our company here, because they've, they've always resonated with me in some shape or form. And, and Tony, those are non-negotiables for his program, and they, they live by those pillars every single day. Well, you know what? In that single decision, and by the way, he didn't announce that. No, he never told anyone publicly that he made that decision. That came out from somewhere in the organization right. and that, said, you realize right. what this guy just did? So if you think about the five pillars, in that one single decision, all five pillars are represented. So he said, look, I have more than I need. I'm thankful. I'm very, very thankful. By making the decision to share that with the rest of the organization, the unity that comes from that, right? Now everybody is on board with Tony's mission. Mm-hmm. And that's demonstrated by servitude, right? His servanthood right there is I'm going to put others before me. That, that is also displayed. And the fact that he didn't tell anybody about it, so, you know, that's the humility part of Tony. He's not looking for those accolades. Dick was the same way, right? I mean, one of the reasons that people from Wisconsin, where I'm from, are huge Tony Bennett and Dick, you know, Dick Bennett fans, are, are because of the way they conduct themselves like this on and off the court. And then the last one is passion. You watch Tony coach, the guy's got passion. Oh, yeah. In every aspect. And when he went to Charlottesville, when he went to UVA, I looked at my wife, because we, we used to live in Charlottesville, that's how we met. I said, I can't think of a more perfect place for him to be. And I, I would not be surprised if he stays there the rest of his life. Yeah. Right. Because you can have such an impact in a community if you approach it with humility. If you approach it with this is a stepping stone for me to make more money and go to the pros, Tony could have professional coaching contracts all day long. That's right. But that's not what he's about. So, and now I've got Tony down as one of my next guests in the podcast. That's what, that's one of my next stretches just to, to get him to share that. But um, that's great. You know, when we, when we, I want to wrap up this, this, with a couple of comments you talked about as you're thinking about expanding your firm, you know, you want to build this, this ecosystem is how you described it in culture, ethics, moral values. And you described the fact that you've had opportunities to grow or merge with other third parties over the past 10 years, but it didn't feel right. And you're in a situation now where you've got some opportunities with people you start to think you're thinking align more with what you're trying to do as a vision, as a business, which can be fun and exciting. You've participated in teams all your life. Now you're building another team. So uh, I, I wish you nothing but the best. And I see bright futures for 
for you and Miller Financial? Well, uh, you know, it, we were talking, and I, I, you know, I'd like to add this, you know, here as we wrap up. I guess the the, um, you know, when I look back at what what maybe we didn't do so well. All right, and and interesting. Um, uh, things that we could improve on. And I, there are two things in our conversation that, that kind of uh, jumped to mind. One would be on the employee side. So the people that we are hiring, you know, there was a be slow to hire, quick to fire. And yep. we, we probably, um, you know, went down that path. And, and, you know, one of the challenges probably was keeping, keeping somebody around too long, you know, and, and, um, and then the second one, which I think is really important in day to day, what we do, and we talked about listening um, and, you know, we would, we would prepare for client meetings by coming in with an agenda and yeah. here are the things we want to talk about. And, you know, it could be, you know, what's new in your world. And let me tell you about the market, what's going on in the market and here's the performance. Right. And, and if we if if we had good performance, perhaps, you know, like the meeting went how we thought it would go. Like, oh, that was a good meeting. And, and then we 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 realize there's some point in time where where you know what we're always here's what we want to talk about, but take the step back and and say like Pete in in preparation for our meeting next Wednesday. You know, we got some things we want to talk about, but let's make sure we talk about what you want to talk about. And, and if you got those in advance, you know, send those to us so we're prepared to talk about it. And, and so we had real life uh, client, uh, husband and wife, and we did what we described in the, in the way we did it, uh, you know, the agenda, the markets and all that stuff. And then we, we tried it differently and the, the, we said, Miss Smith, you know, what, uh, what do you want to make sure we talk about? And, and she said, you know, I want to make sure that my disabled daughter is taken care of for the rest of her life. Wow. We, we never even asked the question, you know, and, and so, like, it didn't even matter what the performance was or what's happening in the market, you know, the trade war with China or, or name it, right? That's what kept her awake at night. Yeah. Last quarter's financials don't really matter in that environment. So once we, like, that was a light bulb. That was one of those aha moments. And, and you know, so, you know, being being good listeners, uh, we can learn a lot in that, that situation. You know, it's funny. Um, people in a, in, by the way, in a sales oriented business, you know, you, you have to wake up and acquire customers every day. Every business needs to, or you just start to die. So every meeting with a customer, if you approach it, that you're there to serve them and meet their needs, it flips the whole dynamic around. When I had my fitness business, one of my salespeople who I really liked and respected, uh, we were on a call and, and unfortunately it was with, uh, it was with BP. So British Petroleum it could have been one of the largest, it could have been, it could have changed the nature of our entire company. And it was his account. He'd got in. So I, I, I typically always do this. I let my team run the process. I'm not, you know, Hey, I got to come in and do the presentation on the guy. And, and, you know, and I probably knew it better than anybody and probably in this case should have done it. But it was a virtual call, you know, 10 years ago. So it was, a, it was just a, a, a telephone conference. We had up the slide deck and we were talking through it. This, at this point in time, you couldn't see people's faces. That's very hard to read an audience. He was not, not going to get through that slide deck. Yeah. And yeah. He, he rolled right over her. And I knew it was happening. I could tell she wanted to ask a question. I could tell she had heard it all before and I knew we were tanking. We were tanking, but he had to get through it. And in fact, he did it. He presented angrily. <laughs> like you need to understand this if you're not, you're stupid. Right. So 
we happened to be in the same town. We hung up the phone. I said, uh, um, we'll just say Bill, Bill, let's go have lunch. And we sat down and I said, what do you think just happened there? He didn't understand. And I said, your job is not to get through the slide deck. Your job is to ask her three or four questions up front to understand her needs and adjust our conversation to address those needs. And by the way, to your point, I like how you guys do this ahead of time. What are your expectations? Because for you guys, there's got to be some research and some planning and some structure to that. You can't come in blind. In our business, in that presentation, we can adapt our content on the fly to do that. That's part of what we should be able to do. But there may be situations where she says something or brings something up that we can't adjust on the fly. It's perfectly okay to say, Joan, that's a great question. Let me see if I understand that correctly. And I'll get back to you tomorrow with a response. Yep. So the listening aspect, I think, by the way, those are, that's a salient moment, right? I need to make sure that my disabled daughter is taking care of the rest of her life. That's a financial goal. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Jamie, that's a great way to close this, uh, this episode. Cause I, we're always looking for something who, when, when people are listening, they walk away and go, Oh man, I, I don't know if I'm doing that. I don't know if we're listening to our customers from that standpoint. And I've had conversations where someone's explained to me what they're looking for. And I've had to say to them, that's wonderful. We don't provide that, but I know someone that does five years down the road. That's a customer because they're eventually going to need what you offer. You got it. Yeah. Oh, Jimmy, we could go for another hour. We could, man. That is, yeah. You, it's, uh, I, I got to say, I mean, you got the cap on like, <laughs> Okay, the hair thing, I'll give that to you, but you look the same uh, all these years from when you go back to when we first met, uh, however long ago that was. So you look great. It's been, what, 21 years? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. God, that's a long time. Uh, It's been great catching up. I I look forward to hearing how you guys have evolved the business next time we catch up and if you've made those those pivotal moves, right? Yeah. They're a little bit scary but uh, yep. you've, got, you've got a sound base to build off of. So I wish you nothing but the best and thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for, for allowing me to participate. Really no, good it was great. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jimmy. All right, buddy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Eating Crow, available on all podcast platforms. You can follow Pete on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram to join the Eating Crow community. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll see you soon.